Hey everyone, welcome back to your ex-boyfriend's podcast, episode 57. I'm not going to go too long into the intro here because what I have for you today is a really, really interesting interview with a safety professional that I met recently at the Washington State Governor's Industrial Safety and Health Conference. Um, or maybe it's health and safety. <laughs> uh, either way, um, his name is Dr. I. David Daniels, and uh, basically I give a whole intro for him um, at the beginning of our interview, so I'm not going to go any further right now. And with that being said, here is my recent interview with Dr. Daniels. Okay, here we go. Dr. Daniels, thank you for being with me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Good to be here. Awesome. Do you mind if I give a little introduction and let people know who we're talking to today? Have at it, man. Okay. Uh, for all my listeners out there, Dr. Daniels is uh, an occupational health and safety professional, a former public safety executive and president and CEO of ID2 Solutions, which is a safety-focused solutions company specializing in helping organizations plan and execute safety management systems special focus on psychosocial hazard mitigation strategies. He is a member of the National Safety Council Board of Directors, as well as the founding chair of the council's government and public sector division, as well as a recipient of the NSC's Distinguished, Distinguished Service to Safety Award. Uh, Dr. Daniels is also the founding chair of the National Association of Black Compliance and Risk Management Professionals, safety and security work group, in addition to serving over 30 years in the fire and rescue emergency community, including four appointments as a fire chief. He also hosts a weekly podcast, the Psych Health and Safety Podcast USA, and Dr. Daniels and I met at this year's uh, Governor's Industrial Safety and Health Conference, in which I attended his talk on psychological safety in the workplace. Dr. Daniels, does that sound like a fair summation of your whole life? Uh, well, uh, it's a start. Yeah, that, that would get us started. So <laughs> that's a great place to jump off. Yeah, you're right. Well, um, uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself, anything I missed, go ahead. But if not, then I'll just jump into the first question. Yeah, j just jump in because, uh, you know, it comes out in the question. So go ahead. Let's just okay. dive in there and get to it. Absolutely, sir. So, uh, a lot of people that listen to this podcast may not know, I know I was relatively new to the term psychological safety when I actually attended your talk. Could you just give a little cliff notes on on what the concept of psychological safety is? So um, so I, I'm going to give you a bonus on that one. I'm going to I'll tell you about two things. And I kind of mentioned this in the presentation. So psychological safety is the concept that's been made popular over the last few years by Dr. Amy Edmondson. So Dr. Edmondson is a, a Harvard business professor, wrote a nice book called The Fearless Organization, uh, you know, talks all over the country and around the world about the concept of an environment where people feel safe to bring their whole self to contribute and not worry necessarily about negative consequences. That concept is slightly different, but connected to the concept I talk a lot about, which is psychological health and safety. It's adding those two words mm -hmm. is not just about the environment itself, but about the hazards that exist in the environment that allow or don't allow you to be that whole person. So you can say all you want, 
that you want to have psychological health and safety. But if you bring me into the environment and expose me to all kinds of psychosocial hazards, I'm not going to stay long if I show up at all. And it's important to, so both concepts are important. You can't have one without the other. No, absolutely. That was one of the main, uh, I think, takeaways I got from your talk. And um, I guess my first question would be, how does that affect the worker? What are the consequences that you're seeing in an environment that that these concepts are not being well practiced? Well, I I, I see the so again the concept that the, the other one I kind of slipped in at the end is the concept of what a psychosocial hazard is. So a lot of occupational safety and health people can tell you about the the big five, if you will, biological, chemical, ergonomic physical and safety hazards. Mm -hmm. But in the United States, we don't talk about psychosocial hazards, which is that whole, you know, it's that category of things that you can't see, feel, touch. Well, you can't see and touch. You can feel them. Sure. But often you can't see them. And there's not a lot of guidance in the U.S. on how you address them. So uh, the discussions that we're having in the workplace, particularly, you know, in the aftermath of our exposure to a global biological hazard called a pandemic, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which is what it was, yep. uh, there's a, a lot more conversation about mental health, mental illness, that type of thing. And psychosocial hazards or how you feel about things at work can contribute to diminished mental health or can actually contribute to you developing a mental illness. And that's so that's really where these conversations start to come up. Um, as I, I think you may have mentioned my background in the fire rescue service, mm -hmm. I started out on the end where all bad things happen, dead people, burning buildings, collapse, all that stuff. And yeah. I've been working my way back over the last number of decades to the root of many of those issues. And many of them are psychological and psychosocial in nature. I mean, and the example I, I've been using recently is when a person falls from height, the first thing you hear is the psychosocial hazard, which is, oh, my God, I'm about to die, the screaming. Right. And then there's the physical piece when they hit the ground. Mm -hmm. What it makes me think of is when we uh, when we talk about like mental health in general, it's, you know, a very common thing nowadays to uh I don't want to say address that, but people are very aware. People are, are talking about it in ways that, you know, we haven't, you know, decades prior. The idea of somebody being like holistically healthy, mental, body, emotionally, um, that's and it seems to me more of a, a recent, um, you know, idea. So I guess what what is what do you see being the cause of the United States not really addressing the mental health of its workforce? you know, until very recently, where, why are we lagging behind in that way? Well, uh, you know, I, I wish I believed that there were singular causes for anything, but I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> there I, rarely are. <laughs> there, there rarely are. And that's, you know, a lot of times how we get into these, you know, uh, this kind of microwave, snap your finger, instant, you know, coffee kind of approach to everything, because we think that there's one issue. It, there isn't one. There isn't there is one. But but some of the major factors are we have a healthcare system that has all kinds of issues and our mental health system is even more lacking. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, the last data I, I, I saw suggested that 155 million people in this country live in an area that has inadequate access to mental health care. That's so over half the population can't even get an appointment with a therapist. I do not and, doubt it. Just, you know, living in a major metropolitan area here in Seattle, the difficulty in uh, accessing mental health care here is staggering. Bingo. So I can't even imagine for people who are out, you know, in in states and in, in rural areas where there are no mental health professionals. Exactly, exactly right. And again, being a a native of of Seattle originally, uh, I can tell you that even in big cities and big urban areas where there may be access to mental health care, well, you got to have insurance, and then you have to have a a particular plan that will pay for it. And you got and there's a you know, can you get a therapist that can relate to you? I mean, there's all these other <laughs> issues. You know, seriously. Right. So, yeah. so we have, the country has a really poor approach to mental health in general. And then on top of that, there are lots and lots of stigma associated with, you know, people with mental health challenges. And, and again, if we're talking about the workplace, our, again, you know, and I have to say it, but a good percentage of the wealth that was built in this country was built on the exploitation of other human beings, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, yes, that's yeah, very true. A, a, absolutely. So we have an entire system that was built on the exploitation of other human beings, and some of that is still in place today. It hasn't really changed. We still have, you know, we, we've got uh, states around the United States are trying to figure out how to get more 13 and 14 year olds in the workplace. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we've just got some challenges that way. So, so, um, Many workplaces were not established to treat people well. They are established to make money primarily, and everything else is secondary to that. And that is one of the big issues. So when every system is perfectly designed to produce whatever it's currently producing, if it's producing depression and anger and resentment, that's because it was kind of produced to do that. It was created to do that. And it wasn't centuries to perfect it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so if we want workplaces, particularly, because that's the one I talk about more often, if yeah. we want them to be kind and nurturing and supportive, then you got to create something to do that. We can't, you know, use the same system of command and control leadership. And uh, again, I live in the state of Georgia right now, and I had a an attorney friend tell me that if you were to read read the employment laws in the state of Georgia right now, there is still a master slave underpinning to many of the laws that are in place today. Yikes! Today, yeah. and that's and Georgia is not the only place. There are many, 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 uh, many workplaces that are simply glorified plantations today. So if we want these places to be, again, kind and loving and supportive, and you have to get people who are interested in that and then design systems that will allow that to happen. So in your experience, what is the way in which we get people who are interested about that? Because from, from my perspective, it kind of came about just uh, from, for myself, uh, having seen enough in the workplace that I decided I wanted to do something about it. So that's yeah. why I joined safety committees. And that's why I engaged with the safety department and why I became, you know, kind of a rabble rouser when it came to <laughs> uh, just, you know, safety concepts in general. How do we get people interested in that? 
Well, I, I think we get people interested in that by uh, by having them look in the mirror. You know, Ooh, uh, that's so tough. <laughs> it, they, yeah, yeah. Well, look in look in the mirror and think: Do you want to be safe at work? And most people, uh, when they look in the mirror, the answer is going to be yes. That that's it. If you were to, you know, again, when we think about Maslow's hierarchy, uh, if we assume that the person is breathing and can consume food and water, the next level above that on the hierarchy is safety. So mm -hmm. all these wonderful conversations about let's get people engaged and let's have yoga and fruit bowls and, <laughs> you know, and wellness sessions, they won't work unless people feel safe. None of them are going to work unless people feel safe. And the, and the feeling safe has to do with not just physical safety, because there are a lot of places who have zero. If you look at their OSHA logs, they've had zero physical injuries in the last year, number oh, yeah. of years. But the emotional damage that have been done to people is horrific. As a matter of fact, there are uh, the leading cause of death in many industries now is not falls from height. It's not vehicle collisions. It's not, it's suicide. Death by wow. suicide is the leading cause of, the, for example, in the construction industry, you're yep. more likely to die by suicide than actually four times more likely to die by suicide, according to the data, than all the other kinds of, of, of things that we talk about. I think combined is a matter of fact. And, and they are number two in per capita suicide to oil and gas, which is even worse. Same you are thing. speaking directly to my own experience. That is the industry in which I come from. I didn't, I, I worked construction for almost a decade and I, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about yeah. uh, with the mental health of the majority Correct. of people that I work with. <laughs> Correct. And, and so again, and I am not at all suggesting that we should not be focusing on physical safety, again, on falls and, and, and chemicals and all these other things. I, but what I'm suggesting is that we should also have a conversation about psychosocial hazards because exposure to psychosocial hazards can harm you. That's the issue. Can it harm me? If it can harm me, uh, I should be interested in not being harmed. And I should also be interested in you not being harmed because again, if you're not safe, neither am I. If it is unsafe for you, it is also unsafe for me. And if we're going to be operating in the same environment, we both have to be safe. Not just me, you know, mm -hmm. not. And again, we have many, many systems that were established by whomever, whoever created the company, started the department, created the organization. They made it safe for them because Correct. that's all I know how to make things safe for me because I know what I like. But in order to make it safe for you, we have to do that. I can't do it to you. I can't do it for you. I have to do it with you. Yeah, you can't count too many institutions that were formed for the betterment of all of us. Usually, at least in this country, they yeah, seem right. to come from, okay, well, what's best for me? What's best that for part. me and mine? That part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, sadly, even for those who are interested in making money, I'm not sure why they don't get, you're going to get more of my money if I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, you're going to get more of my family's money if you don't treat me poorly. Um, because, you know, so pick what group you don't want their money from. 
I mean, is that what you're trying to do by, you know, who wants to have, you know, who wants to limit their client base to only certain people? And that's what we did legitimately in this country until the 60s. We have legitimate, you can't come here because you're black or or because you're a woman. that, That stuff was legal. And now what we have is people who feel like, well, I don't want, and frankly, I would rather, I would rather companies and organizations be honest up front. If you don't want to treat everybody the same, then just say that. <laughs> and, and then I can take my money someplace else. Well, I mean, seriously, my money spends just as well as your as yours does. And if you don't want me, but the same thing in terms of the workplace and good top talent. I do not subscribe to this. Uh, there's a there's a shortage of workers. There's a shortage of workers who want to put up with the way you want to treat them. Amen. (laughs) How about that part? Yeah, no kidding. People who know what they're worth and know how to get what they're worth. exactly right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gosh, I've I've had that talk so many times. Yes, yeah. And and those, the the people who do know their worth, know, know, uh, have talent and know they have talent, they're not willing to put up with what you know many of us put up with when I was younger. I just kind of put up with actually I started a little bit earlier, which is the reason why I moved jobs a lot, sure. is that I know I'm good at this and I know you're not, which is the reason why I'm in this position and you're not. Because if you were better at it, you'd be doing this job. There so it is. <laughs> but but I, I found that you know there are people who just don't seem to recognize that and they think that they can continue to, you know, yell at people and control people and the folks are gonna stay and and particularly my Gen Z, you know, friends, yeah. they've just said flat out, I'm not going to do it. And I'll find a new job. When? Today. I'm out. Yep. You're not going to get a two week notice. Not gonna. Anything. They're just going to leave and they're not coming back. And frankly, yeah. they will find someone who will treat them with the care and the dignity that they deserve. Yeah. All you got to do is look for it. That's right. So you, I, you, you spoke to a, a concept couple minutes ago that I wanted to circle back to you said something about harm and I wanted to talk about that because when I listened to your talk at the safety conference that was one of the things that stuck with me was the idea I'm sorry not harm of what a hazard is I'm, and I'm paraphrasing awfully here it had something to do with harm plus vulnerability or something yes in there yeah. I think I'm backwards yeah. on that yeah 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 well you again a hazard is anything that has the potential to create harm. Anything. Mm-hmm. If you look at the definition, that's what it says. So why is it that we have kind of ignored and not talked about those things that you can't see? So it can there is a physiolog your brain does not know the difference between virtual harm and physical harm. It doesn't really know. You can be traumatized by things that never touch you. Mm-hmm. Seriously. That's, yeah, absolutely. There's a thing called post-traumatic stress disorder. And, yeah. and, and frankly, some uh, are suggesting that it's not necessarily a disorder, but it's something else. Um, but but a lot, you can be affected by things that don't physically touch you. It happens all the time. Right. So why is it that we aren't looking for ways to A, identify the potential harm, B, assess how vulnerable people are to the potential harm, and then C, mitigating the uh, the, the, the harm that we absolutely can't prevent. You cannot prevent all psychosocial hazards from occurring. No. You can't. It's not possible. Uh, somebody has to be 
in law enforcement uh, or in the military or, you know, there there's some of the things that, you know, being an electrician or being there are hazards associated with the work. But what do you do? You mitigate the hazard. That's why you wear the big, heavy gloves. <laughs> That's why you have the, you know, the the harness. There's a hazard called gravity. You know, if I don't, you know, connect myself to something, I'm going to fall. So why is it that we when we talk about psychosocial hazards, we go like, ah, it's just the way it is. Right. No, it's not just the way it is. What is the hazard? And again, I, I have an instrument that I developed in my research uh, called the psychosocial hazard inventory that will tell you where the hazard is. And it's got nothing to do with you as a person. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Is the hazard there or not? Yes or no. Because if it's not there, let's move on to some some other stuff. You know, but if we yeah. never have that conversation about the hazard even being present, obviously we're not going to do anything about it. If I remember correctly, you were saying that one of the most common hazards is just chronic stress in the workplace. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I found and, that to be very true. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and here's the other thing, too, is in, in, you know, if you look into stress, stress is not always a negative thing. No, not at all. It, it, it is not. Distress is the more harmful side of the stress equation mm-hmm. because it kind of has these, you know, it, there's a you stress is actually, you know, there are some uh, environments where that is the issue. There's not enough stress. It's not motivating. It is actually boring. I think yeah. that's the issue that many of our young people are having in our educational institutions. They're boring. Because mm-hmm. you get a 65 or 70 or 80 year old who's re- recanting stuff from their childhood. And, you know, the young person in the class is going, this is boring. <laughs> this is the, the standards are old and boring. And, and <laughs> your t- I heard once that half of what you learn in your first two years of college is obsolete by the time that you graduate. Wow, that's crazy. So, so again, not enough stress can be a hazard. Too much of it can also be a hazard. And there's a sweet spot kind of someplace in the middle, but that is uh, driven by the individual. What what is what works for me? And that may not work for everybody. And I, I can hear people, you know, saying right now, ah, oh, you know, we can't have this place where it's, you know, we can't worry about everybody. Well, yeah, actually you can. If it you turns want out to. you can. <laughs> sure you can. So don't, don't, don't tell me you can't tell me you don't want to. The perfect analogy that I've heard for for the the whole stress metaphor is when when you're working out, you have to stress the muscle for it to grow, but you can't work it out every day. You have to rest. So there's that sweet spot of stress where it's beneficial, but not too much. (laughs) That's exactly. Yes, sir. That's it. So, Dr. Daniels, what what did you experience in your life? You mentioned, you know, being on the end of things where uh Every th- things are going poorly, you know, things are going badly in the fire service. What what is what are the experiences that led you to becoming involved in the safety industry or or making this, you know, uh career that you've had out of safety? And I know that's a very broad question. That that could uh, be no, no, it's it's uh it's a very it's a right on question. I I I actually started with the Seattle Fire Department a couple of years out of high school. Okay. And while they did an exceptional job of preparing me to go to things on fire, <laughs> what they didn't prepare me for, and it's because of the conversation we weren't having at the time, right. is for the mental and emotional impact of just doing the job and the fact that, so 
I was 21 years old. The first time I saw somebody die in front of me. Yeah. And we didn't talk about that. I, you know, we didn't talk about that. I, I right. think I had been to a handful of funerals in my entire life. Right. And 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 that person, you know, the folks at the funerals had been dead for a while. No, I had never been in the room where a person died until right. it happened for the first time. And nobody prepared me for that. They also now what they really didn't prepare me for. That was that was that was tough in and of itself. But, you, you know, you can justify that. All oh, they call us because they're sick and, you know, we did our best and all that type of thing. What sure. I definitely wasn't prepared for is at 22 and one of my colleagues died. <laughs> or when it happened again, when I was 23 and again, when I was 24 and again, when I was 26, wow. <laughs> I was 26 years old and had four of my colleagues die. I can't that's even imagine. A whole, that's a whole different kettle of fish, so to speak. And and I actually found out about halfway through my fire service career, maybe a little, maybe even sooner, I was really more interested in safety. I got the opportunity to serve as a safety officer, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it yeah. because it felt like I was doing something on the front end rather than waiting for my colleagues to get injured and killed at work or something we could do to prevent that. And so now when I have conversations with safety professionals now, Many safety professionals have never really seen a person die. Right. They've never seen a person, uh, you know, with their arm turn, turn, uh, uh, torn off their body or burned beyond recognition or, you know, they've never seen any of that. And I've seen most of it, if not all of it. I can so only imagine. When I, when I have conversations about safety, I, I got a story. Want to hear it? Here it goes. <laughs> about <laughs> if you, you can either do this right on this side, or I can tell you what happens when you don't. To include, to include now having uh, experienced even myself being exposed to psycho. So my last W-2 job that I had, mm -hmm. uh, I worked for an employer who, you know, who had the banner, you know, we care about each other until I, you know, until I told them they were running the place like a plantation. Yeah. And, you know, then they didn't, they weren't so responsive after that. And, 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 you know, and, and basically made it untenable for me to stay there. Right. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, you know, thankful for, you know, my opportunity to be in the fire rescue service and to have a defined benefit pension where uh, frankly, some money's going to show up in my account once a month anyway. So I don't have to work here and I don't have to let you treat me like that. So <laughs> I'm out. Yep. Goes back to the know your worth. That's a dead part. Yep. Concept we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly um, right. Yeah. So uh, you were in the fire service for a long time after you started working on the safety side of things. Did you continue to, uh, work out, I guess I would call it like in the field, did you continue to respond to emergencies or did you transition to a full-time like it, safety role? It was a little bit of both. Yeah. Again, I, I, um, once I, uh, oh boy, uh, oh Jesus, it's, it's a while now, 20, uh, <laughs> almost 30 years ago, I got my first safety position in the fire rescue service. Okay. Uh, and, and virtually everything I did passing was all kind of safety focused, you know, uh, to include uh, I had the opportunity to chair the safety committee for mm -hmm. the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Uh, I was on the board of directors of the International Association of Fire Chiefs as a safety representative. So it was all safety related stuff. And then about 12 years ago or so, uh, as I was leaving my, you know, my last fire chief's job, 
um, I decided that safety would be my thing all the time. Right. And uh, it's been, you know, basic safety roles since. And they've all been, you know, kind of part-time jobs a couple of years, a couple of years here, a couple of years there. Because what I found is that a lot of the employers and even in the public sector employers, um, they didn't really know how to take care of me in the way that I wanted. So I'd go someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and now I, you know, I, I've, and I found myself once I started, you know, finalizing my dissertation, I focused on psychosocial hazard exposure because I had so much experience myself with it. And, and I, 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 I do coaching with people now who are mm-hmm. in a job that they hate uh, in a situation that really stresses them out and try to help them uh, develop strategies on how to either change the people or change the people. <laughs> so, so either just... yeah yeah or, or you know if i can't change this environment how am i going to do something to find an environment that would be more safe for me right that would be more comfortable <laughs> seriously yeah and and they're both options you can do, you can particularly if you're in a position of leadership it requires sometimes to help change the environment and i, and I said that kind of facetiously that we spend sometimes too much time on trying to change the people and not enough about changing the environment. So if we change the environment first, then we're going to draw people who enjoy that environment. And, and if not, then we do have to kind of change, you know, help them be successful doing something else because they don't, if you have a kind and gentle and supportive environment and people don't want to adjust to that, then we probably should help them be successful doing something else. Yeah, what what I've noticed is we what we don't ever want to do is get to the point where we say, okay, well, this is just how things are, and you're going to have to deal with that on your own. Well, yeah, we do it, but we we tend to do it to the negative side. That, that that's sure. the issue. Is so we're we're mean and cantankerous, and we bully and uh, you know make people feel horrible here. And if you don't do that, we'll you know we'll do it to you. Right. You, you see what I mean? It's like it's adopt to this really stressful you got to work really hard adopt to that environment but not adopt or not adapt to the no we do things gentle and kind and we care about each other and that's what we do and if that's not something that you can do again we want to help you find another environment that would be just as cantankerous as you are <laughs> and they're out there we know and they're, they're out there, there. <laughs> yeah but 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 and and not be angry with the person because it doesn't work out that's not we're not angry it's just we want an environment. We do peace and justice here. We treat people with dignity and respect here. That's right. what we do. And it's not for everybody. No, it's not. So, it isn't. I mean, people. some people don't want to do that. That's great. So again, why why can't we have people adjusting to that? Sure. Yeah. And where do you see, I guess, uh, we're, we talk a lot about how we're not doing this super well here in America. Where do you yeah. see uh, industry doing that well outside of America? I know, uh, I, I believe the podcast you host, it started in Australia, did it not? It's, spo- it's actually sponsored by a company in Australia. Yes, oh, it is. Oh, okay. Uh, and frankly, they have, uh, they have, um, let me see, one, two, two in Australia, one they sponsor, well, two in Australia, one in the UK, one in Canada, one in Singapore, and one here wow. in the US. Okay. Um, and, so, and again, I'm not suggesting at all that it's a panacea and they do it perfect either. I'm not yeah. suggesting that, yeah. but I am suggesting that, you know, if you're, so the number one, and it, I, I may be slightly off, but I think I'm pretty correct, but 
the leading reason for workers' compensation in Australia is stress. <laughs> because believe. because there's a law that says you kind of have to as an employer. And I was, you know, I've been involved in some other things here recently where we get these U.S. companies mm-hmm. who start to practice in Australia and Canada and UK and, and Belgium and other Mexico and other places. And they go like, well, we certainly like your business, but the way you treat your workers, that doesn't work as well here. Here's how we need you to do it. Sure. And and that is becoming more and more uh, common than the other way around. It used to be that we simply exported our discrimination and 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 poor work habits to other countries and right. now they're starting to go like ah, nah, i'm not sure we really want to do it that way right the because sickness that, would spread so to speak that 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 that's right yeah so and, and again um employers and and business owners are starting to wake up to that and go look we, again we'll make more money we'll have more customers it'll be a lot better if people see us as caring about you can't care about me as a customer if you mistreat your workers. How do you yeah, do that? No. And, and, and how, how are you going to do that? And, and frankly, let me let me slip this in here because I I, I know you're you know you're in and around public sector workers here every so I often. Am. Yep. Um, if you can't treat a public sector worker well, how in the world are you going to treat me as a taxpayer? You're no simply kidding. costing me more money every time a worker in your city gets hurt. And you pay taxes there, you're paying more. Every time a worker in your county government or state or federal government gets hurt, you're paying more because the greatest, the most significant, you know, cost in a budget is people. Yep. And when turnover costs money, injuries cost money, fatalities cost money. Recruitment when we lost, costs money. <laughs> when we lost four firefighters on January 5th, 1995 in the city of Seattle, it cost mm-hmm. the taxpayers $17 million in claims and lawsuits. Wow. My God. So it is much more effective to keep public sector workers safe mm-hmm. and free of harm. They're going to do better work. <laughs> Same thing in the private sector. If you keep workers emotionally and physically safe they're going to produce more they're going to stay longer and they're going to do better with the customer and at the end of the day why wouldn't we want that i can't think of a single reason why we wouldn't want that (laughs) and like i said i pay attention there are some businesses that i don't do a lot of business if any business with at all sure because and when i particularly when i you know go to you know, uh, restaurants and dry cleaners and places like that. I want to know how you're treating those workers. Yep. Because if I get the sense you're mistreating them, I will not be back. There you go. I'm not coming back. I'm not. Speak I'm with not, your wallet. Exactly right. If you're not going to treat these folks well. And again, I'm not saying that they're all going to make a bazillion dollars because it's not really about the money all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you're, I, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to give you my money to mistreat other people. I'm just not having it. So again, I may be just one, but I think if we all did that, if we all demanded that the folks who provide us service were treated at least decent, right? at least decent, I, you know, again, the world's not perfect and, and, and in built into capitalism is exploitation. I get it. I understand. Yep. <laughs> I get, but you at least ought to be trying to do better. Let's have a standard. Let's have a minimum standard. Come on. 
you know, for us in Seattle, one of the biggest recent examples that was pretty public was the Starbucks uh, employees who tried to unionize and they were forced out of jobs by uh, the company closing their branches. So I stopped going to Starbucks. And then every time that comes up, when any coworkers like, let's get coffee, I'm like, we can go anywhere Except, except that <laughs> again this is how we're going to make it better for all of us because though so here you know the reason why we have unions now it wasn't oh, because yeah. workers did a horrible job it nope. was because it was because management people who are in leadership who have the power to make the decision decided it was more important to to exploit workers than it was to treat them safe. It, it was because of things like the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in 1911, exactly. where 146 or 47 people died, most of them women and children, because the people who owned the place didn't think it made sense to have the exits open. Exactly. It's the so same cool. reason, you know, in 1887, when the IBW was founded, or maybe it was 85, I could be wrong, 50% of your electrical workers were dying on the job. There you go. A whole 50% were dying, and there was lines out the door to take their place. Come on. Right. Come on. <laughs> so that again, that's so so we uh this is not, you know, and I and I I I probably come across as being anti, you know, uh, anti-big business and anti the establishment. I'm not. I'm just about safety, period. Yeah. And I don't, it doesn't really there are some. There, frankly, there are some unions who, you know, they, you know, there, some of these unions who started up, you know, years and years ago, they were only, they were pale and male. <laughs> you, <laughs> I have never they, heard that before. You I'm know, there, there, there were no women there. <laughs> there were no people of color there. So right. uh, they had their own set of issues. So I'm about safety for everyone. It doesn't matter whether it's workers, whether it's supervisors. Can we simply have a safe environment for everybody? How about that? I think we can. I think the answer is absolutely yes. If we want to. If we want to. And that's a conversation I've had with coworkers, with management before, when I've been involved on the safety side of things, I've been involved on the union side of things. I'm not saying that I want more for just me and mine. I'm saying we can all be better. We can all make more money. We can all be better more satisfied at work it doesn't have to be me or you it can be us that's not a thing that we can't work towards and a lot of people especially in management seem to think that that isn't doable i'm not sure why that is they they, there are those that believe safety is a zero-sum game it is not Mm. it is not Uh, me being safe doesn't mean you have to be unsafe it doesn't mean (laughs) that it just means that the standard of safety has to be created by both of us it can't be just built by you right and and, and that that uh, many of the standards by which i by which we evaluate all kinds of things were only made by one group of people whoever that group of people is and in our country you know who that 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 group of people tends to be and right. and if we want it to be safe for everyone we have to have conversation about what safety means before we start the project not after before we you know put the policy in place not after let's be proactive let's be proactive and if me again me and you have to decide what safety is and then while we're doing it we'll both know what it is too often again i'm the boss and you i tell you what safety is no you tell me what you think safety is i may not agree with you 
Yeah, you and make I a unilateral the, decision. You're just feeding back into the thing that we already talked about, which exactly. is the us them mentality. Yes, yes, yes. And and again, when we do it together, it's going to work out better for us. I'd like to circle back to something that you mentioned when you were talking about companies in the U.S. Uh, who do business in other countries like Australia or Canada or Singapore, or, or, where where they're actually taking these concepts. Um, more seriously and being more proactive with them. How does that work when you have employees in the United States do have a meeting with overseas uh, co-workers or they go on a business trip and they see how their compatriots are being treated in these other countries? How do they say, what is that conversation in the United States where it's like, hey, we all work for the same company. You're treating your, let's just say Australia, you're treating the Australian branch exponentially better than you're treating me where do we see that coming into fruition? Does that create change here in the United States or does that create friction in the company? Uh, it all depends on the individuals. It really does because that same conversation can be had in different States in the United States. Absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 seriously. It, and and I, I talked earlier about private and public sector workers, a yeah. public sector worker uh, the injury rate for a local government worker compared to the private sector is generally 70 plus percent higher than uh, someone in the private sector doing the very same job, the very same job. Yes. So again, the question is, is the worker going to put up with it? R really? Are you going to work for a company in a government, in an organization that will treat you one way and another person doing the same exact work under the same conditions in a different way, they're safer and you're not. That's the first question. Because if you'll put up with it, they'll do it. Seriously. And that's often what happens is the company, you know, or the organization says, oh, yeah, they give you a bunch of excuses why they're treating you lesser than the other person and you buy it. <laughs> that's the gig. Right. Yeah. And then you convince other people, well, well hold up, you know, and, you know, and, and some of that has to do with people not paying enough attention to their own agency, their own, you know, their own uh, what's going to take to cause them to feel better and feel safe and all that type of thing. This is really an individual journey. It's an individual journey. I have to do what it takes for me to feel safe for me. And if I don't know myself, and if I don't know what really is important to me, I'll mm -hmm. take a job because they pay more and I'll forget about how they're going to treat me. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll take a promotion just because I want power over other people, but I don't recognize the responsibility for caring for other people. I mean, so I got to know me first and then I can go out and get more of what feels good to me. Some people, the mistake that they made is applying for the job at that company in the first place. <laughs> right. Because, seriously, there was never going to be a match because what safety for you and safety for them is just different. And, and so we got to do our own work. But then once if I know me and know what drives me, what makes me tick, then I'm only going to put up with so much. I, and again, I, what I tend to do, not particularly in the last you know number of years, is I'll tell you up front, this is me. I yeah. brought psychological safety with me. I know who I am. I know what I like. I know what I enjoy. And if you're telling me you're going to do it, great. And if you don't, I'm leaving. Yeah. Period. And there, that's not negotiable. <laughs> so, so again, you don't own me. Right. 
you don't own me. I mean, I brought a set of talents and skills to this, uh, to this, you know, this arrangement. And we've made an agreement that you're going to compensate me for my skills. Right. That's how it works. Otherwise, I will take my skills someplace where they will. <laughs> the effort reward balance will be a little bit more fair. Yeah, you're at the end of the day, you're selling hours of your life away. That's and right. You need to sell them dearly. <laughs> that, yes, right. And, and value them. And, and, and value them and think about, you know, and life. We human beings weren't created to work. I don't know. Seriously? Is that the whole reason we exist is to work? No, no thank we you. were created to live. And working is a component of our living. But if the working is shortening our life, then we should be, it seemed to me, it's more important for me to live. And, right. And I, what's I, the point? I, what's the point? I, I, there's a guy, you know, and shout out to him. I never met the guy, but there's a guy I watch on YouTube um, who lives in his van. Mm -hmm. And you know why he does it? Because he got tired of how, you know, how much it costs to live in another place. And he got, matter of fact, he's even quit his job recently. And he, you know, he oh, makes wow. money doing YouTube now. A lot of people are making those kinds of decisions because they value their life more than, you know, really expensive rent or mortgage or, right. or, or a job that's treating them like trash. You, we yep. do have better options than we had, you know, decades ago. We do. Now, again, I may not be able to live in a mansion or what have you, but is it really worth it for the mansion to be treated like trash? No. <laughs> I'm going to say no for no. Uh, zero question. 100% no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen the van life thing, you know, hashtag van life all over the place recently on, on social media. It's it's a very common thing. And, you know, I, I can't. Part of me does flirt with the idea. <laughs> well, and again, these are some of them. And frankly, I watched one. And interestingly, I watched one that um, had to do with Seattle, where there's a the there's woman was living on a bus and she yeah. has a job. But the job doesn't pay her near enough to be able to live. And again, I, I love my, you know, I get up to Seattle a couple of times a year, yeah. but there's a reason I live in Atlanta and not there. <laughs> it is it is the fact that the cost of living, you know, it requires less of my disposable income than I yeah. want to, you know, invest. I just, I don't want to do that. I could, I just don't want to. And, yeah. you know, now I get to put up with some other things, you know, it's all, you know, but yeah, no, I I don't want to do it. I, I I don't. I don't want to have to live in my car, you know, to be able to I don't I don't want to do that. So right. I, I prefer to live in a house and here I can do it, you know, even on a fixed income. <laughs> yeah, and that's right back to the I don't live to work. I work to live. Like Bingo. I've had this conversation with coworkers and it's it's kind of a an offshoot of this same idea, but like we spend 40 plus hours a week together and I have an entire other aspect of my life. The The majority of my life is spent outside of work. I want that to be, you know, what brings me purpose and meaning and what I f focus on, like the, the, the working portion, that 40, maybe 45 hours a week that I'm at work, that is so I can do what I want to do that and the part. other two-thirds of my time <laughs> now you know wouldn't it be wonderful wouldn't it be wonderful 
if the amount of time, and again, there are countries around the world who are talking about having fewer, you know, we, the reason why we work 40 hours is a law was passed in 1938. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're still working 40 hours where they figured in Iceland and a couple of other places that they said, that seems like a lot. Why don't we just do 32 hours? <laughs> yep. So, so the four day week is sweeping the globe. But yep. of course, we'll be the last ones to do that here because we're into <laughs> exploitation. Yep. And, and, and by and, the way, that law, thank you to the unions who fought for that law. <laughs> bingo. Uh, so again, the, re- the reality is this is all about us making choices about how we want to live our lives. Yeah. You know, how, and, and again, wouldn't it be wonderful if going to work really was an extension of the rest of our life and we could not be as stressed. It's not that we won't be stressed at all, but we won't right. be as stressed. And we know the stresses that are going to be there. And we know that our workplace has identified them, has helped us uh, protect us from them, and will respond to them if we're exposed to them, just like they would for a physical hazard. What a concept. Right. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> what a concept. Speaking of employers doing that, what do you see employers doing or improving or you know, even talking about at this point, how do you see employers um, taking this seriously, doing right by their employees, getting to the point where they are mitigating psychosocial hazards? Well, I I, I do have to be honest. Uh, it's rare in the United States. It's rare. It is. You know, I, I, I completed my research a couple of years ago. And I have to tell you before that, I I didn't know what a psychosocial hazard really was. Until yeah. I started, you know, the working on my dissertation, I I knew what bullying was. Yeah, I knew what harassment was, mm-hmm. and come to find out, they are just the most visible psychosocial hazards. Yeah. So uh, this the conversation in the U.S. is still real, relatively new, and I, you know, I was just just in a gathering here recently, and I heard of a corporate. But again, this is a company that's based, I think, probably based in Canada that has gotcha. presence in the U.S. And they, you know, the the person I was speaking with says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do the same thing in the U.S. So, I mean, I think it's happening really slowly, um, but it's happening. uh, We're having more discussion about it now than we were having uh, pre-pandemic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people, you know, those of us who were fortunate enough to survive it, it really took a, you know, they took a, a second look at a lot of things we were doing and said, now, hold up, hold up. Maybe if I've been sitting at home for almost two years, maybe I could continue to sit at home because I enjoy it. Right. And frankly, that all those businesses who said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we can't have people working remotely in February of 2020. <laughs> right. A month later, when in March can't roll around, they were all of a sudden able to do it. Why? Because they had to. Right. You know, I, and I don't buy these, you know, these organizations. We've got to get everybody back to back to their physical surroundings. Well, why? Because you like it or because it's work? Uh, is it necessary or because right. that's just the way you've always done it? Exactly. Yeah, there's this talk of like, oh, it's about the culture. It's about the collaboration. And my argument to that is you did it for three years. Come on. Like, <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, there are. There are many, 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 and I, I know some of these folks personally. It was better at home because you couldn't harass me and discriminate against me if right. I was at home. <laughs> you could, I mean, I wasn't exposed to the physical hazards, you know, even the slip trip hazards and the fact that, you know, uh, the air is, you know, crappy. 
uh, it was better at home. Well, it even you know? speaks to the whole work-life balance thing we were talking yeah, about. Hard. When I don't have to commute two hours a day, when I don't have to look out for uh, childcare, when I can be That's at home exactly with my right. children, when yeah. I can take breaks when I need them, not when you say I can have them. That's right. And people got a taste of that, and they went like, you know, I kind of <laughs> like it. And again, the smart businesses, the smart employers, they've gone like, okay, that works. You're we right. They've got the competitive advantage now. I'm sure they, they do. do. Yeah. And again, the old, again, um, <laughs> if you hate change, you will hate irrelevance even more. Ooh, I got to <laughs> write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Try that one on for size. I dig it. <laughs> because there, there, there are two choices, evolution or extinction. Which one do you want? If you're not growing, you're dying. That's right. Yep. You know, I, the entity that I work for, which I'm keeping anonymous, of course, uh, you know, God bless the safety department. They are actually having the conversation. How do we talk about, how do we look at psychological safety in the workplace? I'm on, I'm, I'm the chair of my department safety committee. And literally the last safety meeting we had earlier this month, that was one of the big topics we ended the safety meeting on. And I got all the literature that the safety department's looking at right now. And they're like, this is where we are going. We are in its, you know, pre-infancy. We haven't even birthed this idea yet out yeah. into the rest of the, you know, agency. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. let's say the dating's going on. And yeah, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're courting the idea of psychosocial exactly. safety. It hasn't been consummated quite yet, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah it's coming. exactly. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. I know... You know, we're kind of at the forefront. Um, and I live, fortunately, in an area, Seattle, you know very well, that is, we, we are progressive in a lot of ways. We are trying, at, at least at, in, in this entity that I work that, for, to right. that, be right. ahead of the pack when it comes to how are our employees, how, do, how does our workforce, you know, feel at work? How is their mental health at work? So I'm that, excited that, to that, see where it goes. Yeah, that, that that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and again, as I... You know, you asked for some examples. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I some I find that really interesting in a country like the United States, who has a lot of things that we were the first country to do. And then when it comes to taking care of people, we go, "What's everybody else doing?" Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, so, so um, this is not hard. This, this is not, this is not hard. It doesn't have to take. So, President Kennedy talked about going to the moon. In the early six, I think it was 1961 or two or something like that. You know, right. uh, and with by the end of the in less than ten years, we had done it. Right, same decade. In, in the same decade. So this is another example. I don't tell me you can't do it. Do it. Tell me it's not important to you. <laughs> I mean, seriously, just yeah. Tell me you don't care. <laughs> tell me you don't care because you cannot tell me that you care. And the data that we need is not from Australia. The data we need is from the people that work with us every day. Yeah. Ask people. And then, but but again, if you're not going to do anything about it, don't ask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if uh, don't, you really don't pretend. Want, exactly. If you really want to, I assure you, I assure you that there's not a company or an organization on this planet that I cannot save them some money. Right. Not one out of one. I guarantee, particularly if you're paying workers comp costs right now, I guarantee you I can oh. save you money. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. The, the, the challenge <laughs> I believe is it. 
the, the issue is, do you really want to, though? And a lot of people, there were tons and tons and tons and tons of people after George Floyd was murdered that said, mm-hmm. oh, yes, Black Lives Matter. We're going to stand up the diversity committee. We're mm-hmm. going to hire a chief diversity officer. We're going uh, to, uh, well, uh, oh, well, <laughs> well, maybe it, it's it a little sounds too good. It sounds good. But that all that could have been fixed within a matter of weeks or months. It really could have been mm-hmm. had you simply asked people and acted on what they said, because most of what they were saying was not super complicated. It's the not last complicated. place, the last place I worked, we would do a yearly survey, the whole and it was public sector as well. The whole agency would do a, a survey on management, culture, um, uh I can't even remember all the categories, but it was essentially what you're talking about. Ask people the questions that we should be asking them and get the answers back. What would happen, though, is you would see zero change, that nothing would happen. Bingo. And I'm like, why are we even doing the survey? Again, pretending that we care. That that actually makes it worse. It did feel worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's worse. It's worse. It's worse. Don't tell me you care. Show me you care. Gosh, it's almost like that's the basis for every healthy relationship. That's right. Don't talk (laughs) about it. Be about it. And and if you're not going to be about it, again, one of the things that, I, you know, whenever I come and visit my family, you know, up in the Seattle area, they ask, you know, whether or not I'd move back. And I go like, "Eh, no, Um, I, you know, and I do live, you know, in in quote unquote, the deep south. And there I can I can drive a few miles and probably find a rebel flag on somebody's porch. Yeah. But guess what? I respect their right to fly a rebel flag and live over there because I live over here. <laughs> right. Seriously. I'd rather know that they're not than have people who who are pretending. Oh, yeah, we're you know, I, I'm progressive, but I just Gosh. don't like that group. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I'm yeah. I, I, you know, I really care, but I don't care about those people. I mean, you know, so I'd rather you just be honest about it and just say it. That's all. Just say it. Say I don't like people who don't speak English like me. Say I don't like people who are unhoused. Say I don't like women. Say I don't like gay people. Just say it rather than lying about it and say I'm an equal opportunity employer when you're not. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you have the right to not like me. I also have the right to take my money and my talents elsewhere. Exactly. That's okay. I, I don't need you. You need me. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's how it works. And again, if you really, if we wanted to have, you know, businesses that thrive, I would open my doors up to anybody who has the skills and anybody who has money, as long as you don't mistreat the people who work here. Yeah. But again, you don't have to like everything, but you just don't get to mistreat people. We can have disagreement and even conflict and do it in a respectful way. That's one of the conversations we are having right now because the the group that I work for with the entity that I'm being so vague here is public facing. Like we interface with uh, everybody in in the uh, city. Yes. And this is not like private sector customer service mentality of the customer always right. Like we have authority and and a backbone to say. Hey, you cannot treat our employees like this and expect to get away with it because you're a taxpayer and because 
we that's have to exactly, do X, Y, Z. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. So, but again, um, all of this, and, and this is where I try to, you know, try to help, you know, I, I, most of the work I do is with, you know, public sector entities and small businesses, because that's where my heart is, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, um, but even in those cases, many of the folks who are in the public sector now, particularly those who are in leadership, where did they learn? They learned the same cutthroat tactics that they have in the private sector. Right. And public sector is not private sector. It is not. It doesn't no. exist to make money. It exists to provide social value and service. It's to, a service. That's right. And frankly, not every, but some of the services, some of them, you get you get to give them to people who don't pay taxes. Yep. <laughs> because, you know, guess what? When when I showed up on a Seattle fire truck, nobody asked. We didn't bill people. We didn't ask them whether or not they, that, that's not how that works. Right. Not how it works. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a citizen or not. It matters whether or not you called and needed help. Right. And so again, I, I have to admit that's part of my DNA. I don't a lot of things, I don't care if it what it costs if it has to do with the safety and health of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, come on, seriously? That, so that's why there's some organization you probably don't want me around because it might cost you more in the short run because you're spending the money right now anyway. Um <laughs> people are gonna yeah, start to notice how bad it is, but we can fix it if you want to. You just so, want to. That that actually brings up a, a question that I, I've thought about a lot, and I don't really have an answer to. W- with that being the case, we're not, you know, in the public sector, we're not operating for profit. Correct. Why is it so much harder to change? It feels like why do we have the public sector worker seventy seventy percent more likely to be injured doing the exact same job that the private sector worker does? Because I found, and again, I I had opportunity to serve as the executive director of workforce safety for the city of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has been, oh boy, 10, 11 years ago. And I thought I was going to find a lot of other cities who had people like me. I couldn't find anybody who had anybody like me. Not a single solitary city anywhere in the United States had anyone with a safety with safety expertise in the executive offices of any of the governments. None really? of it. Not a one. So how in the world can we talk about safety for public sector workers and nobody knows how to do it? Again, my PhD is in safety. Mm-hmm. It's not in engineering. It's in safety. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm talking about. And I know a lot of these local governments, they don't because they don't have anybody. They've got public safety people, and they, those tend to be the ones that they have the highest injuries because they're so focused on the customer Sure, <laughs> that they're injured and kill the worker. So, again, it's a, I, I'm not suggesting that people don't care about it. I, I'm suggesting they can't be about it because they don't know about it. That's what it is. You've got, you, you got to know about it to be about it. So what do you, what do you think is, is keeping – safety professionals like yourself from getting to that executive level where decisions can be made and change can be affected. If it's not happening that way in the private sector, what causes that in the public? Uh, you know, I, I, I wish I could tell you, I, hmm. I, I wish, I wish a lot of it again has to do with, we don't teach occupational safety in business school. Mm-hmm. We don't. I mean, that's not what you learn. You learn about profit and loss statements. It's all about the money, even people <laughs> yeah. in the public sector. It's all about the money, the money, the money. And they end up losing the money because they don't know about, again, on Maslow's hierarchy, money's not on the second tier. It is safety, 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 and safety is more than physical in nature. 
It is. If we could fit, if we could get people who understood that and people who prioritize that, all the other stuff's easy. If I create a safe environment for you, of course you will take out the trash and of course you will do kinds of other things. You will paint buildings and right. and, and 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 lawn and garden and sell. Th- if I create a safe environment for, of course you'll do that. It's it's really quite simple. But folks think about the money, the money, the money, and even the safety. Well, how much money do we have? What are you thinking? What are you talking about? It's going to cost you a lot more. A an injured employee who has to see a who has to be hospitalized is going to mm-hmm. cost an employer for on average forty two thousand dollars at the gate. That's according to the National Safety Council. Wow. If you kill the worker, it's going to cost you one point three million dollars. Yeah. So do you want to spend the, you know, the 30 bucks to put them in this class or do you want to wait till they get killed? Which one do you want to do? Yeah, it's asking the honest question, like which honestly answer, which which, which would you prefer? Because what? the data shows that this is statistically preferable, but you seem to want to do the other thing. That's, that, that, that's right. That's right. Because, again, safety isn't the priority that it should be. And again, if I and, and again, that's that starts with me. Many people, they. Even they, themselves, they, oh, I got to work 90 hours. No, you decide to work 90 hours. Nobody, you, you don't have to because right. you don't have to work there. You could work someplace else yep. if you prioritized your own safety over other people's. And so you know, I prioritize my own safety first, and I recognize that for me to be safe, you have to be safe if we're going to share space because I can't do CPR myself. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> you know I, so i need you to be safe as well you know the it's the, the idea that you're talking about this whole you know let's all be safe together it reminds me of this question that came up at my last employer and, and it, it was brought up many times and i it came up onto the safety committee why don't individuals who are in work vehicles by themselves on a regular basis why don't they have aeds in those vehicles and the answer from management was well how do you do how do you utilize an AED on yourself you don't and my argument from the safety committee standpoint was we literally just had a crew with an AED in their vehicle save somebody's life on the side of the road yes that yes. is why you have the AED in the vehicle with the one person because they can help others and yes. others can help them it's an yes. us mentality not yes. what can yes. i do for myself yes yeah well there uh, again a lot of those questions are around that's why you have that's why people hire people like me you know sometimes you know consultants full-time people that mm-hmm. safety is what they do the the question is what is the potential hazard how vulnerable there are lone worker policies that that should be put in place by the employer if they're going to send me out there by myself what are the potential hazards when i'm out there and how have you mitigated them that you have a responsibility under the general duty clause and because washington is a state plan state (laughs) uh say that again it's it's a what it's a state plan state yeah 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 it has wisha you know so uh, which is more restrictive than osha in the first place if you want to comply with that you sent them out there. What are the potential hazards? That's job hazard analysis. Right. What are the hazards the person is going to be exposed to and how do we mitigate them? Again, you can't eliminate them, 
not all of them, but you right. can certainly mitigate them. So if I'm going to send you out there by yourself, there are tracking devices. There are, we're going to check in with people. You know, you got to, you know, send us a text message every 30 minutes or, you know, some, right. I, something. I mean, you know, it depends on what work people are doing. But again, people say, hey, we'll just send them out there. We don't care. Yeah, don't tell me that because I fell out of the lift 10 times and my harness caught me 10 times that I'm working safe. Keep me from falling out of the lift. Yeah, that part. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, we, there was a worker when I was in Atlanta who um, was doing an inspection of a water treatment facility uh, by himself, got out of his truck. Truck was still running. and He fell through one of the grates into the oh. affluent. Oh, my God. Uh, and no one knew he was missing until they found his truck running. And they had to drain the, you know, the thing that he fell into, drain the sewage out of it to get his body out. Oh, my gosh. But nobody knew he was working by himself. Yeah. And that was just something that they did at the time. That is gnarly. But that happens all over this country all the time. No one has the safety expertise to think about what is the potential, the hazard that this person is going to be exposed to. And what have we done about it? Yeah. And again, all the way back to the, and some of it, if you ask the person, they can tell you, well, I, I don't feel real comfortable being out there by myself, but it's the job and I have to get used to it. Well, let's stop that nonsense. If I've got to be by myself, here's what you're going to do to help me, uh, help mitigate the psychosocial hazard of being by myself and the physical hazards I'm going to be exposed to. But that's, you know, it's a broader conversation and we, you know, we there's so much we could talk. About. Oh, I know that, that, that there could be a whole well, like your podcast, there could be a whole podcast <laughs> dedicated to this. Um, that that's a good segue into my one of my last questions for you. For somebody who is just let, let you know joining a a new department, or they've gotten a new job at a, at another employer, and they want to get involved in making their place of employment a better place, they want to get involved in making it safer. Barring just joining the safety committee, because we both know that there are plenty ineffective safety committees out there. They are they're all over the place. What would you advise that person to to do? What what can they what's something they could start doing now that makes it a better place to work? Uh, uh, meet and greet yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, it is really that simple. Know what works for you and what doesn't. I mean, because that's really a full time job. No, what what are the things that cause you to bring you joy and peace and, you know, and good health? What, what are those things? You know what they are. And if you don't know, you should find out because it, you can only give to others out of your abundance. Many of the safety committees don't work well because the people on them don't know anything about safety. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't, yeah. <laughs> they don't know anything about it. They, you know, they have a complaint about something, but they don't know what would be safe for them. Yeah. So spend some time getting to understand what would be safe for you. And if you have some extra to share, you know, there's an area that you're, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I, I'd want to share some extra, then get involved in the safety committee. But the other, but, but again, it really is about knowing what causes you to feel safe. And then also, you know, knowing the environment that you're being placed in, if it's my job to do X, you know, you have to ask that question. Don't expect the employer to do it for you, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I don't have to be on the safety committee. So the OSH Act, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, gives, I think, eight or nine responsibilities to the employer and only one to the worker. The only one for the worker is know the rules and follow. Them. There you go. 
That's it. Everything else is on the employer. But if so, if they but but on the other hand, if you don't know what they're supposed to do and know what affects you, then you could be the person that they you know put at risk. So you have to know that doesn't feel right to me. If it doesn't feel right, say something about it. You know, I Seriously. think you're speaking to something really important that I I remember. I've had this conversation multiple times, both in a formal like safety committee capacity and outside. Before you start complaining, you need to know that a you're doing what you're supposed to do, That's and right. you also need to know what the person you're complaining about is supposed to do. Yes. yes, if you're just upset about something, like it's okay to feel that way. But if that's all you're doing is voicing that you're upset anytime you are, and you're not actually in the know, we're not actually going to get anywhere. We're, we're not. We're not. Right. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't. Don't. I mean, you know, simply complaining for complaining sake is interesting. I just didn't get anything done. Um, right. What is the solution that you seek? Well, right. And if you can't think of one, why should they have to think about one? No, you need to think of one. Here's the solution I seek. This is going on. This would work better for me. Yeah. Seriously, because if you don't know that, why are you? Because if you don't know what solution you seek, the, the other person will never be able to help you because you won't recognize the solution when it shows up. I have to know me. What <laughs> how, works for me. Right. How do how can I help you if and you, you don't, don't know, know how to help you? Yeah, you know, so I, my job as a safety professional is not to make anybody safe other than me. Right. It's my job to provide information for other people so they can decide whether or not they want to be safe or not. Hey, knowledge is power. We know that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Daniels, that was probably the most dense hour and 15 minutes of this podcast that's ever been aired. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, I think I'm out of questions for you. I'm sure, you know, we could delve into anything for, for however much time, but um, is there anything that I missed that you think is worth saying here, you know, as we come down to the end of the episode? I uh, know. I, I think we've, I think we've covered quite a bit. I, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, these are interesting words to share to, you know, uh, with someone's ex-boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, I, I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit. I, I, I hope that it stimulates uh, some thought with folks. I, you know, I, I, I'd be really interested in, you know, in, you know, having some conversation with folks that they really want to do something about this guy. The reality is if you don't really want to do anything about it, don't get started. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not Talk willing, is to cheap. yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is, it is. And if y'all will, you know, to commit probably, you know, maybe I'm probably thinking probably on the order of about 18 months of your time focused, mm -hmm. then you probably shouldn't get, it's not that there is no microwave solution to psychosocial hazard exposure. Right. There isn't. Uh, but there are solutions though. They just take time. That's all. Um, and I can certainly get people started. You know, I can take as far down the road as you're willing to go. But again, if you don't really want to take the journey, just, just stay where you are and, you know, and Lord love you. Hopefully that's good for you. <laughs> well, I, you certainly got me started down, down that path. And I hope in, you know, that was last month. So I, I hope in another 17 months, I have something to show you. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? I'm going to put all your contact information in the show notes, but what's the best way to get a hold of you according to you? Well, uh, I, you can certainly go to my website, uh, ID2-Solutions, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, all my contact information is there. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I, David Daniels, I, I, 
I I go by my middle name. I have a first name. I just don't use it all that often. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, those are probably the best places, you know, to to find me because all my again all my contact information is there. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm certainly open to. I, I control my own schedule and my own calendar, and yeah. uh, it's kind of generally first come first serve. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and that's awesome too. For anybody out there who is wanting to get in touch with Dr. Daniels, just know that I reached out on LinkedIn and he was very responsive and we got this podcast episode set up in no time at all. So man, I'm so grateful for that. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your, well, I'm sure is a busy schedule to come and talk to me and, you know, help me out with this, you know, little pet project that I got going on. Um, so thank you. I appreciate your time, sir. It, it, it's my pleasure. I, I enjoy doing, uh, you know, things I enjoy doing with uh, people who are enthused about it. So glad to be a service. And thus concludes my interview with Dr. Daniels. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I certainly did. I learned so much from listening to him the first time at the conference and then from that conversation I had with him here on your ex-boyfriend's podcast. Like I said, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Daniels, you want to learn more, I'm going to put all of his contact information, including his website, uh, in the show notes uh, with any you know relevant links uh, to be found there. As always, if you want to get a hold of me, you want to come on the show, you want to tell me that the show is awesome, you want to tell me that it sucks and here's why, you can always email me at the podcast email, your expfpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Instagram at your underscore expf underscore podcast so thank you for listening thank you for continuing to support me and thank you for being patient with these extra long gaps in between episodes that we've got going on and with that I'll talk to you next time and until then take care